Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today, it is our great pleasure to welcome Francis Arville to the show. Welcome, Francis. Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Jenna. You probably detected an American accent there, but Francis is a MIA sales manager for G2. Uh, I have zero doubt that you've heard of G2. I'm, I'm on G2 all the time when I'm buying software, but they are a company that helps buyers make smarter software decisions based on authentic peer reviews. We're super delighted to have Francis on, and I say we because I have my co-host Jenna Sachs on with me. Welcome, Jenna. Hey, salespeople. Oh, you're using the tagline. I, I love am. It. I am. I'm. I've you know migrated to the tagline now. That is that is awesome. So we're going to talk two things here, and and I'm super psyched when I heard that Francis actually had an American accent because I I feel one of my blind spots is international selling, and and we often talk to sales leaders across. Uh, Europe, in the UK, France, Germany, we've had folks on and, and the Nordics, but they often have their local perspective. So Francis has the unique advantage of having sold in both places. So super excited to get into that. Just to get to know you a little bit, you mentioned that during COVID, you've had the opportunity to read a ton of books. What is maybe one of the more memorable books that you've read recently? I think like everybody, I was really aching to get out of my tiny studio apartment or your home or whatever. So I always like the idea of getting into other people's worlds. So I really took advantage of reading through all the biographies that I've been dying to crush. So read everything from Janet Mook, one of the transgendered you know, advocates in Hollywood, all the way to Kamala Harris, first female VP, and then Richard Branson. If no one's read How I Lost My Virginity, go read that because it's definitely a, bio- a biography, but it reads like a crazy fiction novel. Uh, you gave us some great recommendations. I think I read the, the Richard Branson bio, but it was quite some time ago. Well, great. So let's, let's uh, dive into the topic that is my biggest blind spot, which is international selling. So I don't know where to begin. Like when someone asks you, how is it different selling in EMEA versus in the US? Where do you see the main similarities and the main differences? So right off the bat, I think if we were to do this podcast two years ago, while I was still living in Chicago, I was probably much more of a mumbler. I used probably a lot more slang than I do now. So if anything, being and living in London and selling to exclusively Europeans has really forced myself, my reps, my team to really enunciate, really be better storytellers, really get into the mindset of these are people not like you. So you better really work to making sure that you can tell stories, get those people to understand what you're saying, because you don't want to get off a call and wonder if they misheard you, misinterpreted what you said. Um, And in the same vein, you should also be asking for clarity. So if anything, I think living in Europe, selling into EMEA has not only made me learn about international business, international selling, but then also just made me a better salesperson in general. You mentioned enunciating better, being more articulate, using less slang, using less mumbling. Is that because let's say I'm talking to somebody with a thick accent, what I view as a thick accent from another country, they are also feeling the same way when they're listening to me that they can't understand me because it's not what they're expecting to hear. 
100%. And what's interesting too, is it's not just English speaking versus the rest of the world. All of the little nuances of English speaking um, was interesting to keep up with. So always remember this, one of my reps, so my entire team um, managed a team of 12. A few of my reps are from Ireland. And when I was helping them put together a proposal after just a couple couple weeks of working together, we were talking about pricing and I told her to put the pricing in parentheses. And she goes, what? I would not want to pretend I have an Irish accent right now. So I'll say everything in my American accent, but she's like, what? And I was like, yeah, just you know, put the pricing and put it in parentheses. And she goes, I don't know what you mean. Can you spell that? So I said, P-A-R. And all of a sudden on Zoom, I see her literally typing in P-A-R instead of obviously actual parentheses. And I was like, what are you doing? And I was like, look down at your keyboard. You see that nine and a zero? And she looks down and she goes, yeah. I go, put that in. What is that called? And she goes, brackets? And I was like, wait, what? So, and it dawned on me in that moment that even though we both speak English clear as day, right? My context, my world is so completely different than this other person. We're the same age. We're both female. We're both in sales but our language is completely different. And then now that times layers of different countries, different regions, different religions, all of that. Crazy. Yeah. The, the reason I had asked for clarification on whether it was whether they could understand or not was because I have this perception real or, or not real that Americans are less trusted outside of, you know, outside of the States or even that simply if you're a French person selling to French people, you're going to have a greater degree of trust and rapport than if you're an American or even a Span- Spaniard selling into France. There's definitely that. And I think it's also more so around in America, we're super patriotic. We you know, love to scream USA all the time. Well, other countries are like that too. And a lot of countries have just as a strong CRM or just as strong sales enablement tool or just as strong um, you know, web conferencing tool as we do in the US. So there's also that element, that nationalistic pride of, I would want to do business and keep the money right within that country, which interestingly enough, I think that's also the nice thing about G2 is it is a global marketplace. So that's like a nice way to get in. But I obviously had to learn very quickly. And I think anybody else that wants to be able to sell internationally effectively should also be cognizant of the fact that there's really great, awesome products in all of these other countries. And there is that nationalistic pride that we can't just trump all over, especially if you want to be able to ultimately do business with them. The one other thing I wanted to come back to was you also mentioned storytelling. And and storytelling is something that I think is important for sellers everywhere. But you felt this keenly when you went overseas. Like, why was that? Why do you think story is a more critical factor when selling outside of of the States? One, right? Certain phrases, um, certain concepts, right? Don't land the same across countries, even within America, right? The number of times I've used the word pizzuki and I realized I, like no one outside of Las Vegas knows that a pizzuki is ice cream on top of a chocolate chip cookie. So even tenfold, right? Then you have Germans that I think right now outside after the UK, Germany is getting the most number of VC funding right now. So really trying to figure out, well, what are they doing well? What is every other country missing out on? 
oh, okay, they're actually even more direct, right, than, than Americans to some degree. It sounds like there's a lot of research that you're putting into this too, especially dealing with different cultures. Would love to get more insight into where you're going for that type of research. Will say, I wish <laughs> I did all of this research before I came here and I had a really good <laughs> answer for you, Jenna. A lot of it was coming in as American and assuming that everything I've been doing for the last 10 years of sales was working and crashing and burning 5,000 times. <laughs> I am fortunate, though, that my team specifically are also very international. I have one girl from Anna Verfelli. She is actually my most senior rep right now. She is both Romanian and Greek. So she and I have had tons and tons of conversations around, well, how do you sell to more of these emerging markets? You know, there's not as much tech in Romania or Greece as there is in the UK or the US, but they're trying to compete too. So she's given me a ton of insight. Little crashes and burns, like my little parentheses mishap with my rep Leah, right? That evolved into this bigger conversation around why is there such top talent in Ireland? What are they doing so well? And how are they able to bridge that gap between Europe and the UK? Because right, all because of Brexit. England's kind of <laughs> lone wolfing it right now. So working with some of my Irish reps like Leah has also completely broadened my horizons. Let's go into the stages of this, of how you sell, right? From prospecting to opportunity management and, and so on. So I have the impression based on all the regulations like GDPR that you can't just email somebody, you can't just pick up the phone and call somebody that it's all opt-in, permission-based, personal is that true? Can you can you not cold prospect, or are there ways? Or are there ways? I don't want to use the word around that, but are there ways to engage somebody who who has not already opted into communication from you in Europe? So I will say maybe my team is doing a bad job at this. We're not necessarily also overthinking and worrying about every single person we do outreach to. A lot of the time the people we're doing outreach to are also doing outreach to us kind of thing. So I think there's a little bit of also understanding around we're all trying to sell stuff and not steal everyone's identity and all of that stuff. That being said, we are much more careful when people are openly like, don't do this. Please don't reach out to me. Probably more so than we would have been a little bit more persistent um, coming out of Chicago. I think, interestingly enough, the social aspect, so like LinkedIn has been turned on on overdrive, I get the sense that there is a lot more of that relationship building in the US. I think my sales cycles were a lot faster in the US, right? I can get that yes or no a lot quicker. I don't need to do much more of the fluffy stuff. Whereas I think here, there is that much more relationship building, wanting to slow down the sales cycle. Again, especially if I'm trying to, maybe not G2 specifically, but if I'm a CRM or um, a sales enablement tool trying to compete with another CRM or sales enablement tool coming out of the Nordics or Germany, right? I need some of that rapport building a lot more key um, than, I, than I was used to in the States. Well, okay. So once you get into the deal itself, the you read all this stuff where the data comes from the US, but it's probably true elsewhere where you know you need to make sure that you are multi-threading your deals and that you have champions and 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 so on. Is that is the degree of multi-threading, do you feel the 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 same as it is in the US? Or you know, do you need more or less people engaged in order to to complete a, a deal? 
I would say that one is more around segment. So right now I managed both SMB and mid-market. So anywhere from like one employee to 999 employees. So very similar to how we sold in the States. If Jenna, Jeremy, and Francis decided to put together a tech company, right? There's a very high likelihood someone, one of us, you know, a CEO, right? will be in that sales conversation. But then in the same vein, my reps that are selling into those 300, 400 more established mid-market companies, it's nice that there is multiple people they can sell to, and then they also have the opportunity to be multi-threading. So that one, I don't see too much of a nuance between selling in Europe versus the States. I know you said you're in mid-market and SMB, but in that world, do you ever have overlap or channel conflict with potentially other segments, markets, um, where you have to collaborate globally within G2? Historically, not so bad. Uh, I think that our sales apps team has done a really good job of creating roles of engagement. That said, it is starting to get a little bit more, I don't know if muddy is the right word, but making sure everything is on the up and up, making sure that all the heads all around the world are aware of certain accounts, because right, especially if you're selling it now, even into like enterprise, things like that, there are multiple headquarters. Um, So a lot of it, which I think I, you know, a huge testament to like the leadership that we have here at G2 is it really goes back to like, what is best for the business? over the rep, over the team that is, that it's trying to sell. What's the best thing for the business? Um, and that's typically where all the decision-making comes from and how, who's going to, you know, play quarterback, things like that. So, you know, let's, let's move further to the sales cycle. You've multi-threaded it. You've got a champion, right? You're, you're getting close to the end. Now you move into the negotiation phase. Is negotiating different in Europe or in specific countries than it is in the U.S.? Uh, different. U.S like much more bigger budgets. So definitely have discounted a little bit more here, which I don't love, obviously, than I would have been used to. Uh, I think that in the States, one G2 was bigger. Uh, We're more established. People wanted to work with us. Um, Whereas here, it is still a lot more educating. Um, So I had to kind of go back into that mindset of where I was four and a half years ago when I first started G2 in Chicago. A lot of education. I would, I'll say, I feel like in the in the states when there was an ask for a discount, there was all there was always like reasons around you know product functionality, you know maybe like a value thing. Whereas I'm finding that some countries or some people here will want a discount to kind of get the warm and fuzzies. And at first, it frustrated me, but then it's I really had to get into that mindset of like, okay, Francis, like it's a cultural thing, right? So you can't be angry about it or you can't play hardball about it. You just, you again, have to go back to what's going to be best for that company. What's going to be best for you. Ultimately you want to grow here in Europe, all of the above. All you want is to not pay more than the next person, right? So if, if pricing were really fixed, it actually makes it easier for everyone. Yeah. So like in the, in the SaaS world in the U S right. It's almost become a standard that you see all these 50-50 comp plans, right? And and often a 4x to 5x quota to OTE ratio. I have this impression that in in Europe, like a 50-50 comp plan is much more rare, that it's more skewed towards base. I have no idea whether that's a correct expectation these days or not. Seeing as that I've only worked for G2 as a manager, and I've only worked in England, I can literally only speak to the experience of 
G2 UK, um, my couple of years of management. And we are at about a 50-50 split. So not necessarily skewed towards base. I will say UK not only reps here at G2, but like just UK does pay higher than the US. I mean, cost of living here um, is is pretty tough. First, I was like, wow, why are they paid so much more here? Um, But I also realized that, oh, even my own personal rent (laughs) is double than it was in Chicago. So I get that. One thing that did surprise me about, especially in the hiring process, I don't know how it is in the States anymore, but I feel like it's a it's like a reps market to like, there's so many jobs available. <laughs> so it's been a little <laughs> bit of an uphill climb here, which is good, right? Like means there's jobs, there's good talent. So a lot of competition. I was surprised that people are more forthcoming with how much they make when they're approaching companies. I guess I would have never told a company how much I was at interviewing at them, but I, I guess I'm pleasantly surprised because then I know the world that they're coming from. But yeah, I guess I was just very surprised that people are very open about, hey, this is how much I make as they're sending me their um, their application. I also recall that some countries have this sort of probationary period when, when you hire. Can you expand a little bit on, on what that still exists and how that operates? Another crash and burn situation for me. So literally one of my top reps over the summer, he ended up you know, telling me, coming to me on that one-on-one on a Thursday afternoon that he was leaving, which was so sad because he was so close to already hitting his annual number. Um, he was crushing it, like dream rep, but it made sense. He was leaving for like an 11 employee startup equity. He, he had that entrepreneurial spirit, you know, it, that was something that G2 could never and would never be again. Right. So I totally, I a hundred percent supported him in, um, in leaving. So I was telling him, Hey, Matt, can you just, you know, help me with your sales force, you know, update your opportunities and, you know, you could walk tomorrow afternoon, exit interview kind of thing. And then he was the one, I knew he's like five years, my junior, he was the one that was like, well, wait a minute, Francis, I think I have a three month like notice period. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> and he's like, I think I have to stay here for a couple months, but if you don't want me to, like, that's fine. And I was like, I'm pretty sure you just leave. Like, why would I want you to work more? You, you're tapped out. Like, I'll go find somebody else, um, go on vacation, whatever. Connected with my VP at the time, Enrique, and he was shut that down so fast. He was like, no, Francis, he has to stay here because we have to pay him. Um, whether he's working or not. So you'd rather a 50% Matt Brown than a nobody sitting in his seat for three months. And then I was like, oh shit, you're right. Okay. Um, so then, you know, tail between my legs, had to go back to Matt and say, yeah, Matt, I know you don't want to be here. And you probably told your company that you're starting sooner rather than later because of me. Um, but yeah, so we, he had to work here for three more months which was very interesting because I've come from a world where if I quit or if G2 fires me today, right, that's it. I actually didn't know about that one. I think when, when Jeremy said probationary period, I was thinking of new hires, right? And how there's, I think there's also a regulation there that you need to be conscious of as a hiring manager. Which I also didn't know because um, <laughs> I didn't read everybody's contract when I, when I came here. I thought it was all like the States. Um, so there is that too. I think every company has it slightly different, but if in within the first three months, it doesn't work, 
from my understanding, I could be speaking out of turn, but if it doesn't work, you can let them go without any additional extra time of an additional like three months, whatever. Let's say someone resigns though, they can walk, I would assume, right? They're not indentured to continue to work for you for three months or are they actually obligated to work for you for three months? Obligated. They're obligated. Okay, so it's the flip side of the, we're going to have to pay you for three months if we let you go, but if you quit, you got to stick around for three months. So it's a symmetrical sort of thing. Could you negotiate with, you know, like in that case with Matt, could you have negotiated with him to say, you want to go, I'm fine to let you go, you know, go ahead. Is that, I would assume that's okay. So then we wouldn't pay him. He would have been out of that pay. Um, Luckily, he did have PTO banked. um, So he was able to leave a little bit earlier. I think there's a little bit of also the way it was described to me. I also joined Pavilion recently so that I could learn more about (laughs) what you're allowed and not allowed to do in selling in Europe. I think I get the sense that there's a lot more like reputation, people talk kind of thing. And you just want to make sure that everything is kosher and everyone is saving face a little bit more than in the States. So while yes, I think if he 100% was like, I'm not coming. (laughs) And we were like, okay, that's cool. Like we won't pay. I think, I, I mean, I think at the end of the day, that's fine, right? No one's holding a gun to anyone's head, especially in Europe. For sure. Well, we're, we're running uh, close to being out of time. I think the last thing we wanted to ask you is, is just any advice for people who would love to gain international experience? I was just talking to a friend recently, and, and they were actually considering a move to Ireland. And from, from the US, they, live in, they, they used to live in, uh, in New York, and they've lived other places in the States, but they've never made the, you know, the big move. What advice do you have for Americans looking to gain international experience? I guess in the same way that I coach my reps is just being curious, being curious, right? In your sales cycle, same thing. Be curious when you move abroad, be that yes person that you've never been before, right? Being open and willing to crash and burn. And I always say this, I'm like, what's the worst that can happen, right? You make the move, you realize you don't like Ireland or you don't like England right? Yeah. Come back to the States. What's the worst that could possibly happen? And I think if you go into that mindset, you'll realize all these really awesome things that you were not expecting. And you're probably going to find some things that you realize were also pretty shitty, but just your world is so much bigger. Oh, my world is so much bigger from the last two years. Well, Francis, thanks for being on and sharing your perspective. And it was refreshing actually, and, and relieving to actually know that things are, are less different in selling in, in Europe than I would have I would have expected. I'm sure, as you mentioned, there's a war for talent on that you're hiring. So if people would love to join your team, can they just message you on LinkedIn? Yeah, LinkedIn, Pavilion. I'm sure if you've ever gotten an email from me, all my phone number, social security, blood types, all on those email signatures. Anything you can do to hire. Well, again, it was so great having you on. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Jenna. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks so much. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey, Salespeople podcast.